There we go. I love that song we just sang. I wonder how often we thought this week as we're going through our week that we have we really been praying for God's face to shine on us, for his presence to be in our lives each and every day. And if we haven't done that, I want to give us an opportunity today. I want to invite you just to close your eyes and just take a moment. If, if you would, just open your hands and hold them in a posture of just surrender and acceptance. If you if you want to see God move today in this place and move in your life, I, I pray that you join me in this prayer as we say, Father, we just ask for you to show up and move in a mighty, mighty way today, that you would move in our hearts if there's anything in us that would stop us from hearing your word today and looking more like you. If there's anything in us that would resist your Holy Spirit, God, we want to set that aside. We repent of any moments that we've been taking things into our own hands And God, we give it all to you and lay it before your throne. Father, I lift up anyone today who's got things in their life that they're carrying with them. Burdens that they feel like they can't carry anymore. Maybe burdens they just shouldn't carry anymore. God, we lay those at your feet today. We thank you for what your word says, that we can come boldly before your throne. God, that you are the one in charge. You are the one in in control. And we can cast our cares on you because you care for us. God, that is good news today. And so today we pray for your Holy Spirit to just fall in this place. God, that it wouldn't just be my words or my thoughts today, but God, that your your word would speak to us. It would draw us closer and closer to you and that we would truly be a light shining on a hill. That as we leave this place, people would see something different about us. And And in that, God, that they'd glorify you. God, you are awesome, amazing, and incredible. And if you believe that this morning, would you just join me with an enthusiastic amen? Amen. Amen. Well, church, good morning. It is a beautiful, rainy morning, isn't it? And we kind of changed the lights in here, so it's a little dark. So listen, if you end up going to sleep, I'm I'm really sorry about that. Uh, Enjoy the nap. I'll, I'll try to, you know, I'll try not to be too loud and wake you up. But you know, today we're continuing on in our series going through 1 Peter. And today we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, and if you want to join me there in your Bibles, I'd absolutely love that. And before we do that, I just want to tell a quick story. I don't know how many of you, you know, different parts of of this country, we have different types of jokes, but for for this, I think, part of the country, the appropriate one is Ole and Sven. You may grow up hearing the Ole and Sven jokes, right? Alright, here we go. So Ole and Sven are on the construction site one day when... Sven turns to Ole and goes, hey, what do you got there? Ole says, oh, this is my thermos. My wife just got it for me. He says, well, what's a thermos? He says, well, it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Huh, interesting idea. Sven says, well, I think I better get one of those. So he goes home, goes down to the store, picks up a brand new thermos, shows up on the job site the next day and goes, Ole, look. I got a brand new thermos just like yours. Isn't that awesome? Now I can keep hot things hot and cold things cold. And Ole says, that's great, Sven. What do you got in there? He says, a cup of coffee and a popsicle. (laughs) See, the thing is, there are some things in life that work really, really well when they're used properly. But when they're misused, what can tend to happen is that things get really, really messy. And that's why I want to talk today about 1 Peter chapter 3. And I think that is a, that's an appropriate way to start this off because 1 Peter chapter 3 
is the beginning of God's model of what marriage is supposed to look like under Him. And the problem is, with any model that God puts forth, when we get involved and try to do it our way, we end up messing it up. And so today I want to talk about a couple really key things. I first of all want to talk about God's model for marriage as we see in 1 Peter 3 and also in Ephesians 5. But then really I want to talk about a much deeper, deeper thing that goes into every single area of our lives, whether we're single, no matter where we are in life, that is really, really important for us today. So I want to start off in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're there with me, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Wives, in the same way, now we already, uh, he says in the same way because he just talked about the fact that our model is Jesus who laid down his life and, and gave himself up for us. So wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their Wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, Peter is writing to a very specific audience. Well, I, I shouldn't say specific. He's writing to a broad audience that has some specific things going on. One is that there suddenly is this influx of women's spiritual leaders because a lot of women are coming to Christ. And suddenly there's all these women that are suddenly coming to Christ and a lot of their husbands are not. And so that's why he's writing the way that he is. But then he's also writing to a very broad audience. Some are saved couples. Some are not quite saved. And, and there's still a lot of things going on. He's talking to a, a broad group. But then Paul writes in Ephesians 5 and he kind of zeroes in where, he, where he's kind of making the assumption that both parts of this marriage are actually saved or actually following Jesus, that Jesus is number one in their life. And so in Ephesians 5, we have a very similar passage. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know, I've heard some people in this world that read this passage and they either really, really like it or they really, really hate it. Because the moment that we hear that word, there's a word in there. It's almost a curse word. Anybody know the word? Submit. When you hear that word submit, does that just make you go, Woohoo! I'm so glad I came to church today. We're talking about submission. Turn to someone right now and be like, I'm excited. 
Thanks for submitting to me and, and doing that. For me. I really appreciate that. See, the thing is, there's probably even some folks that hear that passage and it can even create some anxiety, some anger, some indignation. I think it's because a lot of times these verses have been misused. There's a lot of men who read those and they like to read the first part. They don't like to read the second. A lot of husbands that love that idea. Yeah, wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah, I'm leaving a toilet seat up if I want to. Submit. And then, you know, they don't read the rest. I've had some guys come and be like, man, my wife just needs to submit more. And I've been like, okay, let's go through this really quick. Okay, so it says, okay, wives submit to their husbands. Great, yeah, you got that part. And, and then it says what? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. How, how did he lay down his life for her? He, he died for her? So let me get this straight. Okay, so, so, so you told her, hey, you need to submit, and she told you to drop dead. I think that fits. I think that all makes sense with what the Bible's saying here. Because the fact is, I'm called as a husband to lay down my life for my wife as Christ loved the church. And if I'm following Christ's model, that means it's not about me. I'm washing her feet. I'm seeking to do everything I can to wash her with the word, as it says, to help her to be holy and blameless before God. I'm laying down my life for her. And in that, then she's going, okay, great. Then you can lead this family. I'll submit to that leadership as you're submitting to God. And eventually it gets to a point where if I'm really doing my job and I'm following Jesus with everything, it's like, okay, fine, you can serve me. Okay, fine, you can wash my feet. Okay, fine. I guess I'll submit to you. Love me like Jesus. Like, that's not much to submit to, but the problem is when we get involved with it, we end up completely and totally messing it up. Submission is not a lot of things. Men are called to be spiritual leaders of their homes. They're not called to be tyrants who always get their way. If you ever want to read more about this, there's a great article on submission. The six things submission is not by John Piper that I love, but... I think ultimately, one of the things we don't understand is that there, there's a lot of things that about the woman, there's a lot of things about the men that we don't always pick up on. Like, our model is Jesus. We're called as husbands to love our wives and literally be like Jesus. And then the other side, oh my gosh, the First Peter thing. I, I just absolutely love the way First Peter says it in First Peter 3. He, he goes, husbands, honor and respect your wives, or should I, uh, honor and be considerate towards your wives, so that nothing hinders your prayers. Have you ever thought about that for those of you that are married? That the way you treat your wife may actually have an impact on whether or not God hears your prayers? It, it, it's, almost, it's almost like, you know, we forget that that's God's daughter. It's almost like sometimes we forget, or, or it, it's almost like God's saying, here, listen, you talk nice to my daughter, I'm not talking to you. Like, the way we, we, it, we have relationship with in our marriage has an incredible impact on how, on how we're able to talk to God. But see, this model for marriage involves us submitting to God ultimately. And in that then, in this submission, we, we end up being changed and God works in us and it's an amazing and incredible thing. The problem is, in any model that God has, when it becomes about me, it ends up messing up the model. Right? When church becomes about me, the model for church ends up getting really messed up. 
When, when I, marriage becomes about me, it ends up getting really messed up. The model for relationship and fellowship gets messed up when it's about me. And then I think that's the reason then that when we think about submission, it kind of feels like a dirty word because there's a lot of people that have really, really messed it up. I don't think we always understand exactly what submission actually is. And I think we don't always understand how it fits into the broader narrative of Scripture. Even in 1 Peter, we see this word submit used a lot. He says, 1 Peter 2, submit to human authority. Like we read last week, servants submit to your masters, it says in 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 5, it says, submit to your elders, younger people. If there's someone older sitting around you, tell them, hey, I respect you today. Love you today. Submit to each other, it says in Ephesians 5.21. And ultimately, James 4, it says, Submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And Joshua, there's a question that's put out there that's so important. It says this. He says, Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Ultimately, choose who you're going to submit to. That's the entire story of the Bible is, Listen, are you going to choose to do things your way, or are you going to follow Yahweh? Yahweh, your way. Yahweh, your way. See, for a lot of us, the idea of submitting to God sounds really, really good, or at least acceptable. But then when that word gets used in other contexts, sometimes it gets really, really negative, it gets really, really scary. But I think for some, for some of us, it's because we don't have a good definition of what submission is. Sometimes we think of it as being run over, being a doormat, never getting your way, being a slave... I heard a definition of submission this week that I absolutely love. I'm going to have it on the screen. It says, Submission is having the courage to give up my rights to meet another person's needs. Having the courage to give up my rights to meet another person's needs. Another word for that is what? Unselfish. Giving up of myself so that you can have your needs met. And here's the deal. Being unselfish is one of the biggest indicators of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's our motto here at Core Rock is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And the thing is, when you're a fully devoted follower, eventually everything in your life is going to change. And eventually, when I, whenever I'm around fully devoted followers of Jesus, one of the things I always notice is that it's not about them. Their relationship with Jesus isn't about them. Their relationships in the church aren't about them. It's all about Jesus. We see in Philippians 2 that it says this. I want to read this to you in Philippians 2, starting verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our model, our person that we're following Jesus, we're told to be like him. Over and over, Jesus says, be like me, follow me, follow me. And our goal then is to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He served, he gave himself up, he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. The problem is, 
when I become selfish, it becomes impossible for me to look like Jesus. And my goal is to ultimately look like Jesus so that it makes my daily relationship with God really, really hard. See, I think that's the reason that submission has become such a dirty word in our world because there's so many people who are not looking like Jesus, are not selfless in the way that they interact with other people. They make things about them, which means some of the models that involve submission in the Bible become messed up. Because it becomes about us. So then there's those who have abused these models, and there's those who just don't want to submit. They just don't like the idea of anyone else telling them what to do. See, there's three basic ways for us to live in life. Basically, there's, there's go, living my life according to what other people say, others' way. You know, and that's great until they no longer accept you. If I live for other people's acceptance, living for what they want me to do, I'm going to end up dying by their rejection. There's living by my way, like the great prophet Frank Sinatra said, doing it my way. And what happens then is, as the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man that always leads to death. And then there's doing things God's way. And the thing about God's way is, just like Jesus said, if you, you will be my followers, you must take up your cross and follow me. If any of you want to gain your life, you will lose it. So if I'm going to do things God's way, it ends up being coming to this place where things are no longer about me. Suddenly, as I follow Jesus, I'm becoming less and less selfish, and uh, suddenly I start to value other people even more than myself because I have value from God. Not because I think lowly of myself, but because I have this value inherently from God and His Holy Spirit. The problem is this. There is a problem in my life with applying this in my life, with being unselfish, with being like Jesus. I have a pretty big problem. Problem is, what? My wife? My kids? My boss? Right? Well, we, have, we have so many excuses we can come up with of why it's hard to be unselfish. Because this situation is too bad, or this person is too this way. But really, the biggest problem in my life when it comes to being like Jesus is like Taylor Swift once said, It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. The biggest issue in my life is that naturally in my flesh, I want everything to be about me, right? If there's a problem, I think about how it affects me. When I wake up, I think about me and my bladder. When I go to bed in the morning, I think about me and how everything I have to do tomorrow. And then in between then, a lot of stuff is about me, 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 me. But enough about me. What do you think about me? Right? I mean, we just, we just constantly think. We, we think about ourselves. No, I do. And many of you probably feel that way too. Naturally, we think about ourselves. And that means that being unselfish goes against our nature. And so it involves a new nature. The mind of Christ, as we just read about. And so today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about how to be unselfish, but I also want to talk about this. Why should we be unselfish? There's a couple of reasons we see in these passages, but also in all of God's Word. Why should we be unselfish? The first one is this. Selfishness is a source of conflict in our life. James 4.1, it says, Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from selfish desires that war within you. And sometimes I read James and I think, you know, James, first of all, James is a great book. But sometimes James says stuff, and I'm just like, I don't know how I feel about that. That war within me? 
Like, everybody else is selfish. Yeah, but, like, I mean, it's not my fault. Right? It's not my fault I had a fight with my wife because, I mean, she said something and it hurt my feelings. And therefore, I should have said something back to her, right? Because it hurt me. Oh, wait a minute. That's all about me, isn't it? See, that's the thing. In my life, every conflict that I see, every conflict I've ever had in my life is normally comes back to someone's being selfish. Every war in the world, every major fight in the world is someone somewhere at some point in time is being selfish. Right? They're making it all about them. Every time I have a fight in my marriage, it's normally because at some level I'm being selfish. Even if there is a moment, which there's very few moments where my wife's ever wrong, but even if there's a moment where maybe she says something unkind or mean, well, if I'm being unselfish, I'll go, man, that didn't seem like the nicest thing to say, but I'm not going to retort to that. We're just going to move on together. We're going to work through this. But when I'm being selfish, then what do I do? Well, how dare you say that about me? How could you hurt my feelings? See, most of the fights and things in my life come back to me being selfish. best advice I ever got from a pastor was about the marriage relationship, but really it applies to everything in our life. He said, anytime I'm angry with my wife, the first thing I do is I go talk to God about it. And I don't say, God, help her. I say, God, show me anything in me that needs to change. And I'll tell you what, this guy prayed that prayer for years and years and years. And this guy was in his 80s when I was talking to him. He's in his 90s now. He is the most sweet, kind, selfless man I've ever met. Because I believe because each and every day he comes before God and goes, God, help me look more and more like you. When things go wrong in his life, he brings those to God. The problem with this idea is that it seems like naturally over and over again we, come, we go back to this behavior in our life. Even our sweetest people, we go, we go back to this behavior. It's like my daughter. If you know my daughter, she's absolutely sweet. She's absolutely cute. She's adorable. And I know it's because she's, you know, she's a girl and she's daddy's little girl, but she's just such a sweet little thing. And then all of a sudden, this side will come out. Normally around nap time. Right? And she's like, mine! Mine! It's amazing. It's like, it's amazing how much she can, like, this attitude can come out of nowhere. And it reminded me this week of, of something I read. It's the property laws as viewed by a toddler. You guys ready for this? Here it goes. If I like it, it's, you finish. Okay? If it's in my hand, it's. If I can take it from you, it's. If I had it a little while ago, it's. Okay? If it looks like mine, it's. If I saw it first, it's. If I can see it, it's. If I want it, it's. If I play with it long enough, it's. And if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> see, the thing is, selfishness comes very naturally to us. It comes up very, very easily. And the fact is, living an unselfish life is something that goes against the very fiber of our being. Truly being like Jesus is not natural. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die for us on a cross. The fact is, the only way we end up looking like Jesus is God's Holy Spirit transforming us and working in us. So if you ever feel like, man, why am I so selfish? Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist for good Christians. It's not the fruit of going to church each and every week. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which is the fruit of God working in you. So the fact is, maybe you just need to become a better construction site and let Him do the work. Let the Holy Spirit work and submit more and more each and every day. fact is, selfishness is a source of conflict in our life. 
The other fact is unselfishness is the key to change in our world. I mean, you know, I notice every election year there's this word that gets thrown out. Every, no matter what side, it seems like something's going to change. Something's going to change. And then it seems like so often things don't change. And the biggest reason for that I've found as I look at candidates is that oftentimes they have their own agendas. They got their own things that they're working for. The fact is, when we're unselfish and give up our own agendas is when things can start to change. One of my favorite stories from American politics is the great George Washington, who of course we've romanticized and made into this perfect individual. But there's one thing in his life that just, ah, I always thought was so cool. The moment where he's become, in a sense, the leader of America, he, he, he's won the war as general. And people are suddenly like, okay, great, are you going to be king now? He's like, no, I'm just going to be a president and we're going to serve for this many years. And they go, okay, great, so you're just going to keep being president forever and ever and ever? And after a little bit, he's like, no, I'm going home. Like, you're doing what? Like, the absolute insanity of that to be like, no, I want to go be a farmer. You want to go be a farmer? You're, you're the leader of an entire nation. You want to go home? There was that unselfishness that set a precedent that changed everything in the way we do politics. Why we have term limits today. But in the same way, I love what it says in 1 Peter 3, that wives, when you submit to your husbands, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. 1 Peter 1, we already talked about this the first week, that as people look and, and see your life, that eventually they can get to a place where they will honor and glorify God because of the way you live your life. The fact is, the more unselfish, the more pure your life is, the more like Jesus your life is, the more that people around you will start to take notice. The less things are about you, the more that people will go, what is wrong with you? The, the, the more that we look like Jesus, the more things are no longer about me. And the less things are about me, the more people are going to take notice and want to have some of that in their life. And when you look at the early church as it grew, one of the key, key moments in history was when a plague came through Rome. And it got so bad in Rome that literally if someone got sick, there, there was families where they would just kind of go, well, it's been real, Grandma. And they'd put them out by the curb. Like literally, they'd just go, okay, sorry. Can't take care of you. We can't get everybody else sick. It was that bad. And suddenly these people that were laying on the side of the road would just disappear. It was almost like trash day. We put grandma out by the road and she's gone. What happened? Actually, what was happening was Christians were going out along the roads and taking in all the sick people and taking care of them and helping them get get better. See... That started something amazing. Because all of a sudden people were like, who does that? Who's that unselfish that they would go and take care of someone who has this disease that can completely wipe you out? And that's one of the big reasons that the church grew. The fact is, when we're unselfish, it's what unlocks the key to change around us. As God works in us, and we look more and more like Him, suddenly we're going to stop thinking about ourselves so much. And it can change your workplace, it can change your family, it can change your cities. In fact, as God works in us, people are going to start to take notice. And the third thing is this, that is so important, is that selfishness affects my relationship with God. We already saw in 1 Peter 3, 7, right, that he says, Listen, husbands, the way you are unselfish towards your wife affects my ability to hear your prayers. 
And then we see elsewhere in Scripture, Matthew 25. Man, the sheep and the goats, a great story. That Jesus is there and He says to some, hey, listen, you're getting in today. He says to others, He says, depart from Me. And the the key difference between those two groups is how they selflessly served other people. He says to one group, He says, you fed Me, you clothed Me. And they say, well, when did we do that? He said, whenever you've done that for the least of these. How we serve, how we are selfless towards others has a key impact on our relationship with God. We already read this in Philippians 2, but I want to read it again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another. Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. See, if I'm seeking my own glory in life, if I'm seeking my own thrills, if it's all about me, then it's not all about Jesus, which means I'm not really a follower of Jesus. There's a book that came out. It got really popular in the 90s, early 2000s, called The Purpose Driven Life. And some people felt like it was a watering down of the gospel. Some people felt like there was different things wrong with it. But one of the things I've always been impressed with about that book is the first page. First page of chapter 1, the first quote of the book, I just absolutely love this. It's these words. It says, it's not about you. Those are some good words. Turn to someone right now and say, listen, it's not about you. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. It's not about you. And that's an amazing and incredible thing because when it's all about God, it changes everything in my life. But it says in Matthew 16 that Jesus said to his disciples, listen, if any of you want to come to me, you must do what? If any of you wants to come to me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Sometimes when I think about the church or the gospel... It's easy to think about it in terms of like a rehabilitation center. Like, like, like we go to church with our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. We get a little bit better. We hear some good scripture. We get encouraged. Maybe we've been banged up this week. So we come in and we hear, God loves you. And then we go out there and go back into the world having been rehabilitated. But see, really, Christianity is not a rehab center. Christianity is a morgue. God doesn't call us to go and get a little bit better. He calls us to come and die and be something brand new. And so when Jesus says here, anyone who wants to gain their life will lose it. He says, if you want to come to me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. If I'm going to follow Jesus, it means that each and every day I daily take up my cross, crucifying my flesh and letting this other side of me die And the more I look like Jesus, the less it's about me. 
And that's a really, really good thing. Because when I die, when I crucify my flesh, when it's not about me, then suddenly my marriage works the way God intended it to. Suddenly, the the places that I'm around in my workplaces are suddenly transformed by God's Holy Spirit. My relationships are different. Everything around me is better when I die to myself. I have more joy, I have more peace. I start to see the promises that God has promised that I'll give you life and life to the full. And so for each of us today, as we close, I just want to encourage us to ask ourselves the question, who is it about? As I'm sitting here today, is it about Jesus or is it about me? Is there anything in me that's making me say, you know, gosh, I, I, I don't know if I really want to do that today. I don't know if I, if I want to do that part. God, God, you can change any area of my life, but don't touch that area. Is there anything in us that's still about us? Is there any area where we're still selfish today? Or maybe you're someone who's sitting out there today who's never started a relationship with Jesus and made him, given him everything in your life. And I'd love to encourage you to do that today. But whatever your decision is, whatever God's prompting, I just want to encourage you to take action in it and allow other people to help. And, let, let's just go to God and talk to Him. As we say, God, I just want to lift up anyone in this place today. If there's anyone in this place who just hasn't really started a relationship with you, first of all, I just pray that right now they would just have that prompting, that peace to take that step forward and accept you and give you everything, God. But also, God, for any of us, that have been following you for a while, God, I I pray that if there's anything in us that's still about us, that we're still selfish about, that we try to make happen our own way, but God, would you just convict us right now? Would you show us the areas where we can look more and more like you, God? God, you are so good. Help us to live like your son did, seeing others as better than ourselves, because we know the one who's better in our hearts. God, you are awesome, amazing, and incredible. Thank you for the way you're speaking today. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.